The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents No Neutrality, where we have a roundtable of contributors pushing the antithesis in every area of life. From family to government, apologetics to homeschooling, being a wife and a mother, a husband, a father, single, widow, business owner or employee, you will hear commentary, essays, lectures, blogs and battle plans on how to bring forth the Christian worldview to all of life. It's now about, oh, six, eight hours later, and I've had a chance to think through some of the things that I said in my prior giving of this exact same talk. And I've edited just a little bit to try and, um, I don't know, be a little bit more accurate. And so let me, I've changed my shirt, and so I'll be getting rid of the other one. Not that I think there's anything bad on it, but I think that this uh, comes closer to what I'm seeing in the text. It's Simon Magus, Simon the Sorcerer, and his doctrine of the church which I wanted to look at. Turn with me to Acts 8, and let's take a look at another story about a man whom the church through the millennia has looked down on with condescending smug self-satisfaction and his obvious greed and error, as they should. We, of course, have in humility risen above this man's crass, crass grasping for material gain. Simon the sorcerer actually thought he could buy the power to control the Holy Spirit. And now I enact what has become a ritual, and that is the turning off of the air conditioner. For 2,000 years, when the church has preached on Simon the Sorcerer, it's with the same smug satisfaction we feel when we know that we're, we're better than someone else. It's like that, that other story where the apostles argued about who was the greatest. Who would get to run the church? And when we, when we preach on that, we know that it is wrong to pridefully pick the greatest to rule the church like the apostles tried to get Jesus to do. So in the same way, we know that it's prideful to think that you can buy power over the Holy Spirit like Simon the sorcerer tried to do. And we feel so good about it because we realize we're holy. We would never try to run our churches by finding the greatest and... and uh, getting them to control everything. And we would never run our churches by getting the people who are in charge to be the only ones who could impart the Holy Spirit as if they have control over the Holy Spirit. These are things we would never do. And so it makes us feel good when these passages are preached on because it's it's always good to, you know, I, I get tired of my sins being preached on. I like preaching back somebody else's sins. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just that's just the human feeling that we have. Heck, those of you who are spiritual know that it is pure arrogance to think that you can control the Holy Spirit at all. Whether you buy the power like Simon tried, or just believe that an elder is the only one in the church who has this power over the Holy Spirit. Huh. Were you paying attention? I didn't notice what I had written until I said it out loud. I said... Simon Magus thought that he could control the Holy Spirit as if he were an apostle or an elder in the church. Did you get that? It spun right past me, but stop. 
I said he thought he could control the Holy Spirit the same way an apostle could or an elder could in the church. Do elders in the church or the priests in the Catholic Church even control the Holy Spirit? Did Peter? Does your church believe that? And that's what I want to take a look at here. Turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Let's, let's read starting in verse 5. And the multitudes in Samaria with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon. Uh, excuse me, it's 1147. There was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And then Simon himself was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had... Oh, I'm sorry, I missed the line. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. He, he, he hung out, I mean, this just blew him away. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they, that, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit too. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, that's Simon the, the Christian sorcerer, said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. When Simon saw Philip healing the sick in Samaria, he was impressed. He accepted this new religion and confessed faith in Jesus Christ. That's why I call him Christian. But apparently he hadn't left his sorcery behind, which is why I call him the Christian sorcerer. He saw the healing of the sick, the working of miracles. Okay, impressive, he said to himself. I will try this Jesus thing. But then the spiritual bigwigs were trained, who were trained by Jesus personally were sent down from Jerusalem. Some of the key people, Peter and John. And Simon the sorcerer was a leader himself. This made him sit up and take note. He saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. The Christian sorcerer understood power and he understood control. He'd been amazing the crowds. He, he got it. He realized that, this is, that it is one thing to attract a crowd, build the buzz, take advantage of mob expectations, which made it possible to work miracles, maybe even heal people. 
Though what he was seeing Philip do was clearly more than what he had learned at, at Hogwarts, or the Samaritan version of Hogwarts. This was different. Now all Luke says is the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of hands. Simon the Christian sorcerer saw something in that which he understood was not showmanship. Whatever was going on there, something real, genuine, life-changing, game-changing was taking place when he saw the Holy Spirit empowered by the laying or, or imparted by the laying on of hands. Simon got it dead on the money at this at this point. You have to understand where he's right in, under, in order to get where he's wrong. The filling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit is the practical heart of this religion he had just joined. I don't mean practically, I mean practical, in practice. The heart of Christianity, the heart of the New Covenant is the infilling and the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It is a religion in which God comes and dwells in his people. Not a religion in which he empowers his leaders, but not his people. Whoever imparts the Holy Spirit is... Simon got this. The Holy Spirit's at the center of it. Whoever imparts the Holy Spirit, then, is someone who controls the church. And there's no doubt that he's almost correct here. It is true that the leaders of the church impart the Holy Spirit. But you can see that he's thinking of the church already as a controllable thing, an organization that imparts power over God's leaders. So he goes to the leadership of the church and says, hey, I want to be one of you. I want to be able to pass on the Holy Spirit. How small a step from leaders impart the Holy Spirit, a biblical truth, to leaders control the Holy Spirit. How do we take that small step? Where is it taken? I believe it's taken when the power to impart the Holy Spirit becomes the property of the leadership, the elders, or the priest, and is denied to be properly done by mere members. Go look at any sermon ever preached on this text. As the church leaders down through history preach on this point, they jump to the self-aggrandizing implications of this control. You know, Simon wanted to get rich, famous, powerful, have a following that he could control. And as everyone who knows the story of Aladdin knows, if you control the genie, you're rich, powerful, and famous. Just ask your three questions, or make your three requests. So, so sermons on this text tend to keep their listeners focused on the shiny object in front of them. Power, fortune, fame, and we don't want that. Don't let the person sitting in the pew stop and think of the implications of controlling the Holy Spirit institutionally, organizationally the way Simon Magus understood it, as something, hey, Peter's got it, he's the institution, they can bring me in so that I can have it. Well, that's different. Of course the ordained clergy do not control the Holy Spirit. Or do they? Take a brief inventory of what the leaders of the church control. Whether we call them elders or priests, it doesn't really matter. They control who becomes an elder. That is, they control who can lay on hands and impart the Holy Spirit. They control who can receive baptism and communion. They control who gets examined by them. And if there is a trial, they are the judges, no one else. They and no one else controls everything necessary to control the grace of the church and who gets it. That is, who can come to communion, who can come to baptism. In fact, who can even come into church? 
the leadership of the church controls it. Back to Simon the Christian Sorcerer. From start to finish, Simon saw what Peter was doing as the important point to step into leadership. Whoever controls the Holy Spirit controls everything, the money, the people, the power, the policy, the message, the worship, the rituals, everything. So Simon the Christian Sorcerer does the professional thing, the Christian thing, the leadership thing, the spiritual thing, as one professional spiritual Christian leader to another. He realizes there is no such thing as a free lunch and decides to invest in the church franchise business, the early version of the ministry industrial complex. And he wants to, to buy a franchise of it. And of course, the power of the franchise is the power of the Holy Spirit. And he asked Peter, give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon got it. You cannot lead in the church of Jesus Christ or any organization if you do not have powers that everyone else doesn't have. You're the leader. You got the power. And the most important power for credible leadership is you must be someone who can control, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, impart the Holy Spirit. Okay, now you're sitting there after 2,000 years of spiritual, philosophical, and theological development on this matter. You know three things. You know that nobody controls the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, the Spirit is like the wind. He comes and goes as he wills. You can only see his effect, not control it. You know, the second thing you know is that a ritual is not how you get the Holy Spirit, laying on hands or anything else. It's not how you get saved. It's not how you receive spiritual strength from fellowship it, or, or learning from the sermon. Uh, or, or the Bible study, or the Lord's Supper, or baptism. You know there isn't a series of things you do, however right and holy it is to do them, in order to get God to do something for you. And the third thing is, you assume that the leaders of the church had this same idea. And, and I think on one level they do, but in the order of their authority, do they practice it? Or do they, do they practice something closer to Simon's idea? So what did Simon the Christian sorcerer know? Well, we'll contrast those three points. The Holy Spirit can't be controlled. Uh, the, means, the, the grace of the church is not something that's, that's parceled out by the leaders of the church. Uh, there's nothing you can do to get God to notice you. And the third thing is, is that you believe that the leaders of the church also believe this. Now, but do they? Simon the sorcerer knew that not everyone could do what Peter did, namely impart the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying he was right about that, but that is certainly what he was thinking because he didn't know anything about the teaching of Jesus. As far as he could see, it's a special power. Philip didn't do it. Peter and John had to come down for some reason, and, and this isn't about that, but there is a biblical theological reason as, as the gospel is growing from Jerusalem to Judea, uh, to Samaria, to the uttermost ends of the earth, you see the gospel going out um, from the Holy Spirit falling in uh, uh, on Pentecost to the centurion, where Peter, no, excuse me, Simon the Tanner's house, and uh, the Holy, well, he's at it's Simon the Tanner's house. He, he goes to the centurion, the Roman's house. The Holy Spirit falls there. He then goes, Peter and John then go to Samaria, and then later on we see the account in the Ephesians. So that's that's a process, a special process. But it's not as if the the Holy Spirit is the property and the control of the elders or the apostles. The, the Holy Spirit falls on everybody. 
Simon knew, though, that the Holy Spirit was a special power, and if he could get Peter to give him the power, he too, like Peter, could lead. The second thing Simon knew is that in order to lead, you must be able to do things that no one else could do, like control the Holy Spirit through a ritual of laying on of hands. Indeed, control of the ritual gives you control of all who think that something important comes out of performing that ritual just the right way and with just the right people. No grace if you do it the wrong way and no grace if you do it by the wrong people. See, the next step Philip had, I mean, Simon the Christian sorcerer hadn't taken yet, but that next step would be to teach everyone that something important comes from the ritual, which the priest <laughs> happens to control. That's the next teaching. Now, whose policy does, you, does your church practice? The one you gave in those three points, or really two points above, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is a matter of, of he, he comes and goes where he wills. And uh, the blessing and teaching imparted by the church is directly by God to his people. It doesn't have an intermediary uh, standing in, in between God and his people. Or is the doctrine of your church the doctrine of the Christian sorcerer? That it is the elders and the priests who have the power to control the church, to control the sacraments, to control the grace, to control the teaching, to control who has access to these things. The church for 2,000 years preaches in smug, prideful humility, putting down the disciples who wanted to be the greatest. But the minute the church escaped the ministry of the apostles, it organized itself by choosing the greatest among them to be priests <clears throat> and to pay them to be priests to have control of the means of grace. Nobody gets communion if the priest doesn't say you get communion. Then they found the greatest of the priests and made them bishops. And the greatest bishop, they made him the father. Uh, you know him as Pope. Well, that's all Pope means. Papa. Il Papa, if you want to speak Italian. It just means father. See, not content to ignore Jesus on this small point, they went on to be sure that only their priests and bishops, not the congregation, had the power to control the rituals, control the grace the rituals imparted to the people who watched the priests perform the rituals, and even control the Holy Spirit, who is the power behind the rituals and the power behind the grace that's imparted. And they and the Holy Spirit comes when it's done by just the right people, the priest and later the elders. Now, Everybody listening to this is very much aware where the Reformation. You know, we're not Catholics. We're we're Reformed. We're Protestant. We're theonomists, for God's sake. The Protestant reformers immediately saw that there was only one mediator between God and man. That God imparts His Holy Spirit directly to those whom He predestines and calls and justifies and adopts and glorifies the whole order of salvation. And His Church has no other door than Christ and His finished work. Only priests think they have exclusive control of that door, that they stand at the spigot of each one of those means of grace, turning it on and off. Eat, 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 eat. We are not papists, they said. We are Protestant reformers, and we are their children. We build, you know how we know that we're the children of the reformers? We build great tombs to them, and we whitewash the outside of those tombs. That's how you know that we're not papists. Regardless of the theory, when it comes to running a church, Protestant elders, Reformed, Lutheran, and Baptists are the only, are the only ones who control the rituals. 
and by implication, the grace. They're the elders in these churches. They control the message, the policies, the money, who is in and who is out, who has the Holy Spirit and who does not. What do you think excommunication means? It's the slamming of the door of heaven. You can't worship with this anymore. You have no more means of grace. By the way, I'm not saying excommunication is wrong. That's another whole question. I'm saying it is exclusively the power of the elders. And that is the doctrine of Simon the Christian sorcerer. The elders are the only ones who can impart the Holy Spirit, rightly divide the word, examine everyone when they think it's necessary, and admit or deny access to the holy things of worship and God. Then, when it came time to preach on who is the greatest, Catholic priests and Protestant pastors alike mocked the disciples for thinking that Jesus needed the greatest of the twelve to lead them. Ha! <laughs> Silly disciples, isn't pride a subtle thing? Don't we all struggle with it? Is usually the conclusion of the sermon. When Simon the sorcerer is preached on the same message comes through, greedy Simon saw his opportunity for power and money and control, so he offered to buy power over God. And you just see Simon Legree out there tweedling his mustache. He tried to get Peter to show him the trick of controlling the Holy Spirit. Wicked Christian sorcerer, poisoned by bitterness Christian sorcerer, bound by iniquity Christian sorcerer. Those are the things Peter called him. And you know, have said the pastors and priests for the last 2,000 years as they conclude the sermon on Simon's wickedness. It's easy for us to fall into the same trap he was in and think we can use God and control God for our own gain. And, you know, we even do it for the best of other people, too. We do it for their own good, that we control God. And that's usually the moral of the story. Somehow we, we try to control God. Unfortunately, those preachers for 2,000 years have been dead right. The very structure of church authority makes of the elders the greatest, just like the apostles wanted to be, just like Simon the Christian sorcerer wanted to be, of whom they said, this man is the great power of God. In our churches, as soon as we got the apostles out of the way, around 60 to 80 AD, we have found the greatest in the congregation, and we pay them Sunday after Sunday to be the only ones who have the power to preach and teach with authority, along with some part-time elders and priests. We give them the power to be the only ones who can examine someone in the congregation, if necessary, to put them on trial, where they are the only ones fit to judge them, and the congregation must agree with their judgment. They control the church, you see. The elders' task is to see if you are fit to participate in the rituals, fit to worship with the righteous, fit to receive grace. In short, these elders are the ones who perform the rituals that release the Holy Spirit and grace to you, the congregation. Now, if it bothers you that I've been calling Simon the Christian sorcerer, you can see why. He, he was a Christian, baptized, just like we are. He had a doctrine of power of leaders in the church, just like the church does. Is your church's view of its elders another version of the Christian sorcerers? You can find out by going down to the list of ways that we access the grace of God and see if the elder is standing squarely at that door alone, or perhaps with his gang of elders, admitting only those he sees fit to impart the grace of the Holy Spirit to. But wait, am I calling your pastor and elders and perhaps priest Christian sorcerers? No. Of course not. I'm speaking of the structure of church authority that we all grew up with. Most elders are entirely unaware that the very structure of their authority and power is inconsistent 
with the one who said, The Gentiles choose the great ones to rule over them, but it is not to be so among you. To be fair, it never occurred to them that Jesus commanded his elders and pastors and shepherds to rule over the people, now get this distinction, with no more earthly, organizationally, institutionally imparted power. I want to stop and say that again. They are to rule over the people not with earthly, organizational, institutionally imparted. The, the word imparted is important. In other words, their power does not come from the fact that somebody laid hands on somebody who laid hands on somebody who laid hands on them, and they now rule and control. Jesus wanted to get across to the elders and the pastors and the shepherds who rule over people that they don't have any more earthly organizational power that comes from an organization than he exercised. Doesn't mean they won't be organized, won't, doesn't mean there won't be an organization, but it's going to be, it's not the source of their power. That is, his power was the power of a servant to rule. The power of a servant to control the house. In case you notice, servants don't have the power to control the house. His power was not the power of the master of the house. He made that crystal clear in the upper room. He said, stay away from the organizationally instituted power that's given to you because you're part of the group. Instead, you be a servant. If people want to believe your word, then you have power. If they don't, then you don't. He did not want them to control the Holy Spirit through various rituals, prayers, powers, whatever. He wanted the Holy Spirit to control them and empower them. And the difference is, does your power come because the organization gave you the power through the laying on of hands? By the way, every time you hear somebody say, my ordination extends back to Peter's, just think of Simon. Simon's right there going, he got it, he got it. It's his doctrine. And so you and I and our pastors, elders, bishops, shepherds, and priests stepped into what made sense, an organization of elders with the exclusive power to control who is in and who is out of the church, who is baptized and who takes communion, who needs to be examined, what is preached, and how worship is done. In fact, if you don't like it, just to be sure you can't get away, we nail your chairs to the floor so you have to watch us doing this. That's, that's what it means to be an elder, ordained, the preacher. There was a time when people offered money for this. Now people offer you money to do it. Whatever their theology says about controlling the Holy Spirit, I'm talking about your elders now, their organizational power structures make clear that they, the elders, have control of the Spirit of God, and therefore of you. The elders have what the Chinese would call the mandate of heaven. What Simon the Christian sorcerer understood as the power to impart the Holy Spirit. They're, all of us are kind of like the man who was raised as an orphan, goes on in his life, goes to college somewhere, and meets a wonderful girl and, or woman who is his professor there and, and marries her. Then one day, while researching his birth mother, after he's had two or three daughters, he discovered that his birth mother is actually the professor that he married. What does he do? I mean, it's not his fault. Uh, he certainly didn't... Uh, it's not what he intended when he met and married her. Certainly nobody... Your elders aren't greedy, power-hungry people saying, that's right, buddy, I do control you. The Holy Spirit does through, speak through me. You had better pay attention. Most of our elders don't do that, honestly. 
unless you push them a little bit. <clears throat> I don't think structuring their church authority structure to align with Simon the Christian Sorcerer's doctrine of the church power is what most pastors intended to do either. I do know this. Peter said, said uh, Simon, though he didn't know any better, was wicked, poisoned by bitterness, and bound in iniquity. I trust the same is not true of pastors who believe that the power granted by an organization is the same thing as the power granted by the Holy Spirit. But when it's called to your attention, it's time to search the scriptures and ask yourself the question, am I led by the Spirit or do I control the Spirit? Is the Spirit my property or does the Spirit belong to the Church of Jesus Christ? Do I have my authority and they must submit to me? Or am I somebody who has authority insofar as I speak faithfully and serve faithfully according to the word of God. If that's how you serve, if you are the servant, not a servant in name only, but in other words, not the one who holds the, the door of each means of grace the way a priest would, but rather someone who, who goes before the people and, and well, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, get into that more in other, in other talks. But the question comes down to, is your doctrine one of controlling the Holy Spirit because it's the organization that empowered your, the power of the Holy Spirit to control him to you? Or are you somebody whom the Holy Spirit has placed you under his authority and you serve as a servant, not as the master of the house? Thank you for listening to this episode of No Neutrality on the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network. Don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to download your favorite audiobooks and podcasts. And if you are a Christian Reconstructionist blogger and you'd like to contribute your blogs into this audio blog format, click on the volunteer link on our website, send us an email, and let us know you'd like to join the team. May Christ be glorified and His kingdom extended from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.